everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 7, Issue 348. We're talking about Zone of the Enders, the second runner. You can play along with the show. There's only a couple left before we have our annual holiday hiatus, although I think actually the last show will come out pretty much in time for Christmas or the end of the year. can't quite remember, but uh, there will still be a little break afterwards. But you can play along with us. We have the two sevens, Resident Evil 7, Biohazard, and Final Fantasy 7. There'll be a new schedule announced at some point towards the end of the year or the start of next year to be confirmed, hopefully towards the end of 2018. Canerince.com is the place to go for that and everything else that we do. You can click through to our various places of interest. You can also support us and get the show a week earlier and often extended by up to 25% or thereabouts uh, by just donating a dollar a dollar a month at patreon.com slash rinse that's about 78p or 0.88 of a euro as we record right now and it uh, is very much appreciated paypal as well if you like we had a paypal donation this very day thank you to whoever whichever kind soul that was if you don't want to get involved in the patreon but you don't get the perks i'm afraid just our undying love we also have other podcasts sound of play on wednesdays is video games music the Sausage Factory on Fridays is interviews with developers. we got a bit of everything going on. And if you subscribe, review and rate all of our podcasts, we'll also love you forever. Follow us too on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 348 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And Mikhail Croder. It's... Like my, one of my Japanese animes. <laughs> it certainly is. Wrong game, though. This is uh, less of a Kojima game than perhaps people think. Uh, so we covered the original Zone of the Enders back in Kane and Rinse issue 322 a few months back. Can't remember how or why we split them up. There was a reason. But there it is. Uh, and here we are with Zone of the Enders, the second runner. And its original Japanese title was actually Anubis, Zone of the Enders. Anubis after the, effectively, the, the lead antagonist frame, mecha, robot, whatever you want to call it. And, of course, named after the Egyptian god of death and embalming, I think. Konami Computer Entertainment Japan is the developer, again, on this one. There's also a couple of other versions that we'll talk about. High Voltage had something to do with the HD edition, although I think maybe their work was all on the first Zone of the Enders because Hexadrive definitely credited on the Zone of the Enders to uh, PS3 and PS4 editions. Uh, Hexadrive are the company who made their debut about 10 years ago converting res. They were set up by a former Capcom man and they've worked on various HD ports since then, uh, among other things, including Akami. But also, uh, I read today in re- in preparation for the Resident Evil 7 show, they actually developed the entire of the Chris Redfield segment of DLC for that game. So fingers in pies and all that. Uh, Konami obviously publish it. So Shio Murata is the director of this game. His first game was Metal Gear Solid Ghost Babel, the, I would say, much celebrated in a quiet fashion, uh, uh, Game Boy Metal Gear Solid, um, which has a, a kind of cult following. It was a, I guess it was a kind of throwback to the earlier Metal Gear games, being as it was on the 8-bit handheld. Uh, he was the cinematic director on Zone of the Enders and then went on to scenario Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, also worked on Metal Gear Solids 3 and 4. So obviously a, a close comrade of Kojima's. 
Uh, Yoji Shinkawa returns as one of the main artists designing the mechs. You'll know his art, as we've said before, from the covers of the Metal Gear games, certainly in Japan and Europe. I think sometimes the US covers sometimes lean on the, the sort of the more standard for that territory CGI sort of imagery. I can't quite remember. I think it did. I think it did for uh, three at least. Mm, possibly so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm getting the I'm getting the Metal Gear Solid Three US cover in my head now. Yeah. I think I think that's it. Rendered kind of stuff. Uh, and also Nobuyoshi Nishimura uh, worked on the game. Uh, he was an animator on Metal Gear Solid, the first game on the PlayStation, and also worked on Zone of the Enders One and Metal Gear Solid Two. But he was also uh, an animator who worked on things like, appropriately enough, Pat Labor, uh, Mobile Suit Victory, Gundam. Uh, and a couple of other Gundam series as well. Uh, so the game came out in Japan in February 2003. The American release followed the following month. And then in traditional fashion, we had to wait six months until the game arrived in Europe. Don't remember if it had a 60 hertz option. In fact, I never owned it, so I don't know. Uh, Mikhail, you've been playing the European PS2 game, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. Does it have 60 hertz or is it PAL? No, it's 50, uh, and I was a bit uh, miffed at that because it's bummed. actually listed on Wikipedia as one of the, in the minority of uh, um, PS2, PAL PS2 games with a 60 hertz option. Yes, there are a few. Well, that's a real shame that it isn't one. Thankfully, there are two further versions, the PS3 360 collection. The PS3 360 version arrived in the fourth quarter of 2012, and very recently, very recently, the... PS4 and PC version with virtual reality support came out in September 2018. I think it launched at like $24.99. I think it's been in a PSN sale once. Carl, did you pay full whack for this? I know you're, I think you're the only one of us who's got the PS4 version. Yeah, um, I definitely didn't pay £25 for it. As I believe I, I think paid fifteen ninety nine, right, so I, th I think it's been in at least one sale. Um, I yeah. think it's going to be one of these ones that we kind of see perennially, uh, about three or four times a year in a sale. Yeah, I did consider getting it to play it for the show, but I decided I'd stick with my PS3 version. There, obviously, there's more pixels in the PS4 version, and there's VR support. But sadly, listeners, none of us has actually been able to play the the PS VR or indeed the Rift or Vive VR on the PC. So, if you want your Zone of the Enders two VR impressions, you'll have to seek the internet for those. There are a few reviews out there, some of them quite positive, I noticed, about the experience. Uh, I think some suggest that it's quite hectic in VR because <laughs> it was never designed with yeah. VR in mind. And you do a lot of zooming about or instantly snapping about. Yeah, after, imagine using zero shift or, or just exactly. uh, the, the lock on when you are meleeing a, whole, a huge group of enemies. Well, yeah. I mean, zero shift is generally how a lot of games used to move around in VR anyway, so that's probably the most ah, maybe uh, that's familiar why it, movement right. to VR. Yeah, I suppose so. Maybe it limits the, the opportunities for motion sickness. Well, of course, you've got to go quite a long way into the game to get that. So. Yes, but then you can, you can stay with it forever once you've got it, mm. even on New Game Plus. So the game reviewed pretty well when it first came out back in 2003, averaging over 83% from 56 review outlet. The opinion had perhaps dipped slightly by the time the HD collection arrived in 2012, averaging under just under 75% from 38 reviews. When the recent 
versions came out, there weren't any reviews at all for a while, but uh, there are a few now um, across PC and PS4. I don't think there's particularly anything to choose between the two versions. Uh, the average is 69% or thereabouts. So perhaps opinion has dwindled slightly over the 15 years since the, the game originally came out. Uh, user reviews wise, well, there isn't a user review average on Moby Games, I guess, just not enough people have registered their interest. Uh, but on IMDb, it has a a solid 8.6 out of 10. So I guess a lot of people still like this game enough. We'll issue a spoiler warning. It's one of those where I don't think I could spoil the plot if I wanted to. <laughs> but maybe, maybe Mikiel could. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe the rest of you all could. But um, yeah, my, my, my engagement with the story was minimal, shall we say. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about our histories with actually playing the game. Josh, I think it was you who nominated the Zone of the Enders games for this volume's podcast, if I recall. I don't know how I feel about that now. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. But um, yeah, I, I, I nominated them mainly uh, to get to this game because um, uh, Zone of the Enders 1 was always talked to me as like a uh kind of a first draft like there, there was some yeah there was some good ideas in it and and having you know played the first game now that kind of proves out it, it really does feel like like a kind of a prom a promise for something better and so mm. i was really really excited to check out this game and um yeah i i played the hd version on uh, ps3 um and uh yeah i i, I initially so uh, it's worth probably getting this out of the way uh straight away i initially started this on normal difficulty um mm. and uh i forgot uh that um auto saving is not a thing in this series and lost uh, lost two hours of progress um so right. i did end up uh, starting again and, and elected to go with the easy difficulty so i went through this on easy carl uh you play you have experience with the original and the ps4 version right i was one of the people just to get onto the topic of the first game because i wasn't on that episode i was one of the ones that bought zone of the enders to get the metal gear solid 2 demo sure and then actually kind of fell in love with the concept of what Zone of the Enders was trying, which kind of mm. flows on a little bit from what Josh was saying. It was kind of the first draft for something that I really loved. Um, I didn't pick up Zone of the Enders 2 at launch, but I did get it within the first year. I couldn't tell you the exact point on the PS2 and played it through then. So we're going back a long time. Um, and, you know, to, to talk about, you mentioned the story. We're not sure we could spoil the plot. I was playing the PS4 version earlier, this afternoon and I can't even remember what happened so let alone remember what happened in the PS2 version 14 years ago when I played Same it stuff. <laughs> but it probably seemed slightly less goofy yes <laughs> it did it was a little bit more special 14 years ago um, and I did actually buy the HD collection on the 360 as well but never played it and I was expecting to play that version for the two recordings yeah. I ended up having a VR headset so I bought this not long after it came out because it did appear in a sale quite quickly yeah. got that to play with the VR headset and then actually left the VR headset at my father's house 
and never actually played it in VR. So it was kind of a strange one. That was the that that was the thing that got me to pick it up on the PS4, and then I never actually used that aspect of it. So I have actually bought the game three times in my life. Maybe someday you'll get to do the the VR experience. Oh, I'm sure I absolutely will. Mikhail, how about you? So we already know that you own the PS2 original, and we also know from previous shows that uh, you are an advocate of playing where possible on on original hardware and on the right kind of TV set or monitor. It's not that that I um, want to convert everybody else to do the same, but uh, that's my preference. Uh, sure, <laughs> absolutely. No, and, and it's all relevant because we did actually have a discussion we were considering, if you haven't heard the original Zone of the Enders podcast, that both Josh and I found the HD version, I played it on PS3, um, perhaps slightly stodgy feeling. Mm. And you said that that was not your experience of playing the the original PS2 version on a cathode ray tube. So we, we are conceding that perhaps even though uh, I'm sure, you know, with modern modern TV input lag being considerably better than it was on LCDs. There shouldn't be that much of an appreciable difference, but maybe maybe there is something in that. So we have to, although obviously we can't, unfortunately none of us is, is in a position to play one and then the other. I suppose we could have uh, bought you the, the PS4 version or something, Mikhail, mm. to, to, to allow you to compare and contrast, but uh, we haven't done that. Yeah, so we can only speak from our own perspectives. Absolutely, yeah. Also, one thing we found out uh, since the episode is actually that PS3 and 360 uh, HD updates left a lot lot to be desired and they had a lot of performance issues as well. Uh, They've since been patched, but uh, still not to the degree where it's optimal. Yeah, Uh, I didn't experience, again, I I didn't experience any obvious problems and I'm I'm quite sensitive to performance overall, I would say. I mean, to be fair... uh, and we'll get on that later. Just uh, <laughs> one of those phrases that you hear on every Kanemans episode. Yeah, thanks for drawing attention to it. The originals, ha- <laughs> uh, or, or at least the second runner on PS2, yeah. has some performance issues when things get really hectic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, if anything, surely I, I would imagine the HD, the PS3 versions and PS4 versions have fewer frame rate issues in terms of frame drops than the original. You would imagine that, but that's often not the case uh, in these mm, uh, Sometimes, instances. yeah, depending on how they've been coded and ported. But uh, yeah. Hexadrive are a pretty safe pair of hands, I would say. They did, and a, this, they did an excellent job on uh, on Res HD. Yes, and, and Akami. And this game certainly felt smooth on PS3 to me. Um, and I don't know if Carl experienced any anything other than, uh, obviously, you'll have had, I've been playing it in 720p. Mikhail, you've been playing it in whatever the original resolution is. Yeah. And Carl, you've played it in 4K, presumably. Yeah. But I presume that the frame rate on the, the PS4 version, probably even if you've only got a, a, a standard PS4, I would imagine is you would hope would be consistent throughout. I would expect it would be really solid. I mean, playing it even at 4K, it felt really, really smooth. I mean, other than maybe the odd stutter coming out of uh, one of the corridor cutscenes into the next area, which I'm pretty sure is probably just part of the game in a strange yeah. way. It was actually really quite smooth. It, it didn't yeah. feel... It felt a lot better than a lot of HD iterations that we've seen. Yeah. I mean, these are very... We'll talk about the graphics, but these are very low-poly affairs by by any modern machine standards. Anyway, sorry, Mikhail. So, Yeah, no worries. I think uh, my history with the game, uh, I've already delved into that in uh, the, uh, the when we discussed the first one of the Enders because on that one I actually had to reference the second runner because that's the game I first picked up for my PS2 and then only for the show I went back to the first one mm. so yeah to make a 
to summarize, if you haven't listened to that show yet, I bought myself a copy of Wartech Senkono Ronde, and I was at work and showing it off to uh, to uh, one of my befriended colleagues at uh, Nintendo UK or Nintendo UK, Nintendo of Europe, and mm-hmm. he remarked, uh, looking at the back of the box, "Hey, this this ju- uh, just looks like this looks just like Zone of the Enders." So yeah. that piqued my interest, and I searched out the second runner, doing some research, found out that that was definitely. The best one of the two that appeared on the PS2. It was one of the most more impressive PS2 games that I picked up uh, long after the fact. That together with uh, Grady's Five was one of the most more smoothest and visually arresting uh, games I've played on my uh, yeah on my PS2. Yeah, so I didn't play the original at the time, other than a demo, as I recalled on that podcast. And I think maybe the fact that I hadn't been I've been curious about the demo. I guess I was still quite into sci-fi and stuff back then in my early 20s, not as wildly as I had been as a as an impressionable youth, but enough to think giant flying space robots fighting is probably something I'd enjoy. But the, the demo didn't overly sell itself to me and the reviews didn't either. So I never got around to playing the first one. So I think what happened was when the second one came out, even though I noticed it, it was better received and the word seemed to be that it made good on a lot of the promise of the original I didn't feel right about jumping straight into the second one. And I also was aware that the story kind of does follow on, although it's maybe not essential to have played the original. So that's why, yeah, for whatever reason, I ended up waiting around until yeah, almost 10 years later when the PS3 double pack came out. At that point, we were relatively new into doing Cane and Rinse about a year. And it seemed to make sense that we would probably end up covering these games someday. So I picked up the PS3 double pack and... I've been waiting to play it ever since. And so, yeah, I played the first game for that show and I played the second game for this show. I finished it last week sometime or last weekend, I think. So the scenario and setting, as I say, it does kind of follow on from the first game. Certainly we see the same uh, mecha frame, uh, Jehuti, and we see we also have the return of uh, the the character, some of the characters from the original. Uh, We're going to hear from some forum posters throughout this show. And we'll use some of these uh, experiences and opinions to for our conversation to jump off of. So let's start with uh, Mikhail's friend, Heavy, who says, This is very much a classic underdog story for me. A person who is extremely underpowered and weak is beaten down by a godlike figure. And the weaker person eventually rises up to exceed and take down their suppressor. It's very much action-packed and your typical anime affair filled with plenty of melodrama. That's not a, a negative, by the way, says Heavy Metaru. The characters that Dingo meets, yes, your character is called... <laughs> Dingo uh, meets <laughs> along the way are all mostly important to the plot, aside from the Earth Force's commander lady, who doesn't seem to do much in the game, and events come and go at a brisk pace. Yeah, lady, I think she's probably called that in a Japanese version. I'm pretty sure that uh, my guy played it uh, in a Japanese uh, language. Ah, very cool. He lives over in Japan, and uh, I think he buys all his uh, games over there as well. A purist. Mr. Ixalite says the story is cliched anime nonsense and I cannot pretend I remember or even understood what Noman and Alman were all about. Something about destroying the solar system, maybe? It didn't matter, really. The first game felt like a prologue of a much bigger conflict, and this game is exactly that. And it makes for greater variety in missions and environments, which the first game badly needed, with the skies of Vassilia mission being the clear standout for me. Destroying a fleet of warships single-handedly with a nimble robot mech and its ludicrous super cannon became pretty much the peak power fantasy of my adolescence. 
The game's atmosphere takes a hit due to this increased scale, but I find the trade-off more than fair. And at least the game still has a gloriously overblown theme song, which quickly found its way onto my Discman. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool song. I do. I, I also like it. Uh, yeah. These things can be very hit or miss when it comes to Japanese uh, games with theme songs. Sometimes I love them. Sometimes I hate them. I remember reading somewhere that the two singers, uh, two Japanese uh, women, actually came up with the fictitious, uh, yeah, the, the the non-existing language that they use in that song. Huh. They were kind of improvising into that, uh, and it's loosely almost based like, on uh, loosely based on Finnish. Okay, yeah, it almost sounds like they're um, in the jazz sense. This is yeah. scatting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's there is some kind of uh, syntax logic to it. It's quite cool. Oh, that's cool. We had a brief conversation before we started recording. I really didn't find the the story remotely engaging. I I so wanted to. I started I started off by reading the. The, the manual and the flavor text and try and I was you know sitting through every cut scene and watching all the twos and fro's and I was admiring the the cell you know drawings the anime uh, and the actual anime that's in the cut scenes and I thought I'm really gonna you know I'm really gonna throw myself into this but I very quickly got very bored um it just didn't connect with me I just thought it was just typical kind of traditional good versus bad it there was it didn't it didn't speak to me on on any level really carl you were saying you didn't engage with the story either is that right Bef- before mikhil comes on to defend it maybe. <laughs> i'm not going to defend it yeah it's just one of those very strange things where i love the intent of how it tells the story through the cutscenes. I quite like the artwork that it was used. I would just switch off halfway through a cutscene. It would become one of those things where I'm, I reach for my phone and see if I've had a message. I'm thinking about making a cup of tea. I don't know. I'm just not engaged in whatever it's trying to sell me. It just wasn't to my taste, I think. No, I think that's probably just not true. I just think it's just not delivered that well. I, I would agree. Uh, this is the first time that uh, I'm play- I played to the game in full and it kind of disappointed me on the, in that sense. Because I think that the universe that they've created with uh, the colonized Jupiter and Mars yeah. and the, the, the political conflicts between uh, the original, uh, you know, the, the Earthlings and everything, it's all very reminiscent of, like we spoke before, with this fairly recent sci-fi series uh, called The Expanse. Mm. And I, mm. I really am I'm, I'm quite fascinated by this type of setting. And then mm. with the, the mechas uh, thrown yeah. in, and I love how it's a bit disappointing that they actually go a little bit too deep into this uh, in, the, in the lore in the manuals. Uh, I, I love how mysterious Anubis and uh, Jehuti appear, like almost like they just disappeared out of nowhere, you know, like they were created by an alien technology or perhaps yeah. perhaps gods should get this, this sort of this Stargate sort of... Uh, connotations and associations yeah, with it sure. uh, but apparently they were actually um, created by Baram scientists so that's a, mm. <laughs> a little bit disappointing but yeah that's that's one of those things um, they've got a really f- uh, fascinating universe I've heard pe- some people speak very highly of the uh, the actual animes that they created for it mm. but it's just the story in this particular game is not told well and when you first boot up the game and you see that incredibly long long trailer uh yeah. showing bits of the game with the, the music under it you think oh this is it you yeah, know it's and, an epic. and, and, and the, so the, epic. the sound bites that are in there in isolation yeah. some of them are 
quite good. Like you hear Dingo scream out like, do you know how many of my comrades died back there? And it's there's some emotion there, you know? But yeah. then when everything comes together in the game, it falls so flat. And I think there are two... Uh, so the, the main issue, one of the main issues uh, we already named it is that they don't deliver on a lot of promise. And the other side of it, I think that the localization job on, done on this game, I've, I suspect is done pretty poorly. Because it's not just it's not just that the, the localized lines of dialogue are badly written. It's just that they are completely detached and alien. Mm. This yeah. is not how, this is not how people speak. You got lines jumping out like "I'm no longer swayed by beautiful words like freedom and independence." And the next sentence is just like completely straight as well. Like it, the emotion goes in that one line as if it never happened. That was yeah. the strangest thing. Yeah. Exactly, and 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 then the disconnect when characters speak to each other. It's like there were there, there's no connection between characters. Uh, yeah, it, it it's really odd because like when you first start playing it, the temptation is to go, "Oh, the voice acting's really awful." But actually, the more <laughs> the game went on, it was like, "No, the voice actors are fine." They're yeah. just doing the best they can with a script that, yeah. like, I no, I don't. If you're Robert De Niro, he can, you know, he could deliver this script any better. To be honest, like, no. it's it's just so maybe maybe he, maybe he would uh, save it with improv or something, but uh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> or just you know change it. But you know, yeah. um, it 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 is it, it, as you say, Mikhail. It's just like this really awkward phrasing, like yeah. something like the way it's written as well. It feels feels like some like reactions just come out of nowhere like suddenly characters are really angry with each other and yeah. like if it was better localized that might have been a smoother transition but I, it yeah. feels I suspect like that, abrupt. Um, that heavy metro had a much better experience playing the game in yes. japanese a lot i i feel a lot has been lost uh, we'll obviously we'll talk a bit about this when we when we cover final fantasy 7 in a couple of podcast time and how much just had to be cut out because of the way that Japanese language works compared to ours. And in a way you have a similar situation here in that we're, we're watching a dub. Uh, what would have been, uh, what would have been great. And I assume they didn't do this having not looked at it. I assume that they haven't done a, uh, a Japanese voice track with subtitles for the recent release. Cause that would have been. I didn't more... see anything like that in the options. Yeah. In, fa in fact, I did actually look um, and whether I was looking in the wrong places or what, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's more likely that it just wasn't there. And, it, it, and it's definitely a shame. And I think to follow on from something that Michael said there about kind of the law that's built is fascinating. It would, it's the kind of thing that you could really flesh out an amazing book from. Yeah, yeah. Mass Effect style, even even if we don't go as you know as grand as a classic novel, uh, another video game that took sci-fi lore and and ran with it. Yeah, and in a did kind a really good Trek job. Style. And yeah. The, and it, it it's strange because, you know, Jehuti and Anubis are these fantastic characters in their own right in just being frames. Yeah. But there is some mystique about them. And then, you know, and credit to a game for having a villain called Norman. I mean, come on. That's just <laughs> brilliant. But um, Norman. We had Derek in Resident Evil 6 recently as well. I'm, I'm, all, I'm up for this. <laughs> <laughs> and there is just a disconnect um, between yeah. all the characters. But I actually liked the characters like i liked ken and i 
I liked Dingo, and yeah. I liked I liked I, them in little bits, but I didn't like them necessarily in how it worked all together. And whether this, as, as you were saying, Leon, the fact that things were maybe cut and things just didn't quite carry across in the translation, I'm not entirely sure. But I like the characters, I like the frames, and I like the idea that there's this war and there's the I mean, it's there's always the two sides against each other, and then there's the the people of is one a, a sort of a rogue agent, is one you know going back and fighting for the side that they used to be on. All this absolutely works for me in the world of sci-fi. Yet somehow you have all these elements, and it comes off completely amateurish at times. One thing you might enjoy, Carl, is the fact that uh, Peter Barto, who plays Dingo Egret, our main protagonist, has been the voice of. NBA 2K12, uh, 2K series since 2009. Uh, he's the PA guy. So oh, uh, somehow, nice. that, somehow that seems to fit. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great because NBA is the one game that I've ever played that actually has the names Carl and Moon in it. So I've actually had my name come through oh, the wait. PA system in the game. It never works out for me. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, we must conclude, as with the previous one, that it feels like if you look at the localization of the Metal Gear Solid games, uh, you know, the other Koji uh, Pro games, you know, some people might have issues with how they're localized in bits and pieces, but... Clearly, a lot of effort has been put into the localization yeah. of those games, and uh, you don't get that impression with uh, with the Zone of the Enders games. It feels it, it feels like they were less of a priority for sure. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like Metal Gear Solid is definitely you know over the top and 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 you know overly verbose, but like it 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 does feel like you know one of the top end animes where they actually bother to spend some money on the voice acting yeah. like i, I yeah. know people have mixed feelings about david hater but honestly that series is so silly and ridiculous that you need someone delivering something as silly and ridiculous as the tone of the game and i feel like Kiefer, you know Kiefer sutherland and metal gear solid 5 proves that like a more a more um even he uh, healed performance doesn't really work um but yeah like this this doesn't feel like over the top anime this feels like you know 80s early 90s anime dubs where yeah. it just feels like the they did it on on the cheap like whoever they could get in the studio let's get them in and and uh, that's not fair like i think the voice acting is fine it's 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 more just the writing yeah. it's just like it feels that's where the where the, where the issue is the localization yeah, yeah. of the of the, the original that, that was unfair of me um it like it's not because it's not quite as bad as some of the, the the voice acting i've heard in you know like late late 80s early 90s anime but it's it's just the writing yeah it's yeah. it just feels like they yeah. they boshed they banged it out as quickly as possible with without any without any care as to how how the change in language actually changes the meaning of if those scenes and makes it feel weird yeah. and erratic. I guess we should cut it a little slack for being 15 years ago, but, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean that we enjoy it anymore now. I think also a, a big problem of the story is that it's just not very clearly told. You know, you, you, yeah. with a lot of like factions and parties, and you don't really get a clear sense from the game is uh, from the game itself who is who and what they're fighting for. And uh, yeah, it just you know, had a lot of proper nouns instead of emotional beats, and that's where I tune yeah. out. Mm. And but what one thing I will say in its favor uh, is that some of the missions and the mission design do tell. In, in their own right, uh, 
interesting stories you know like the 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 uh, like what was mentioned before, uh, when you go up against this uh, this fleet of uh, big destroyers and the, the the massive fight with all the lev units uh, and all the raptors uh, flying around, um, yeah, I mean those are I, I, those are pretty epic moments. I feel. Our next post from Alex Maskill, who I just want to say uh, to proceed this, we talked a little about the Game Boy Advance game. The Fist uh, Zone of the Enders, Fist of Mars, on the previous podcast. Uh, none of us has played it, I believe. Alex Maskell is kind of a super fan of that game. Uh, he was keen that we we cover it, and if we did, he'd love to be on the show and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. At, at this time, uh, we we're not doing that, um, but it's good to know that it has its fans and it's relevant to this post. So Alex says the story and world building in particular. Of, this is we're talking about second runner here in particular, are incredibly limited in a way that really cripples my enjoyment of the game. It's based around a tiny, under-realised view of the fairly expansive zone of the Enders universe, such that I don't really feel like I have a sense of the conflict I'm being asked to participate in, or why I should be invested in it. The GBA game Fist of Mars gets a rich, involved story reminiscent of a great mecha anime series out of the consolidation of Baram forces under no man's control that gets mentioned in passing here, and even the first game gains some stakes from hitting the protagonist where they live. This game, which deals in the collapse of Baram, a military force that managed to seize control of an entire planet by its prodigal son, derives almost no real drama or mythology from that premise. This isn't just a matter of them not telling a bigger story, it's a matter of them not making the most of the story they've got. It feels flat and disconnected, without ever establishing real stakes or making us understand and sympathise with the characters' desires. I couldn't agree more, and... It's interesting to me that, yeah, in, with, the, with the visual novel game that is the GBA game, it sounds like, and perhaps it got a better localization, or perhaps it just told a more interesting story. Characters, cast and cutscenes, we've sort of segued into this a little already. Uh, K-Sub-Zero 1000 from the forum says, The numerous anime cutscenes aren't my favourite stylistic choice, but considering the uncanny valley effect that plagues a lot of other early 6th generation games, including its own predecessor, then this was probably a very reasonable compromise to make. On a more positive note, I find the in-engine cutscenes to be very well directed, and I definitely notice a lot of the Metal Gear Solid 2 DNA in their cinematography. I was, as I said, I was quite uh, taken with the look of the anime cutscenes, probably mm-hmm. more so than the the in-engine stuff. Personally speaking, some of that stuff was, uh, you know, fine for for the era of game that it was. Um, Josh, I was wondering you, as uh, as a probably the one of the biggest anime fans among the panel here, uh, even if you weren't engaged with the story for the reasons we've talked about, did the did the anime itself do anything for you? I do think the 2D animation in the cutscenes is really strong. The, the the one scene that really kind of stood out was the first time uh, Dingo meets Ken and uh, No Man face to face, and then he turns around and No Man shoots him several mm. times, and then the yeah. blood starts because the the, uh, the implication is that there's some kind of like zero G going on. Yeah. And yeah. the blood starts pool like pooling him in these balls around him, and that was really well done. And I think yeah. every time the 
the 2D animation crops up. It, it is really, really great. And I, yeah. and I, you know, generally, I, I do think the art direction in this game is pretty strong, and and the two yeah, D animation, the two D animation kind of really makes that stuff sing. And I, t- I tell you what, it is such an improvement over the first game where you had these really awkward. 3D animated sequences that even even for the time I think looked not amazing. So just yeah. having having something uh, you know beautiful to look at in between in between gameplay, yeah, it was great. One thing I wanted to say though on that because I completely agree with that was this comment from Simon Sloth. I found myself nodding my head off in agreement, even though. If you'd said this to me when we played the first game, I would have probably laughed at the idea. Simon Sloth (laughs) says, probably the biggest criticism I have is that I actually missed Leo and his relationship with Jehati as I cared so little for Dingo and the other protagonists. The simpler story of the original actually carried more weight on this recent retrospective, which, considering how critical I was of it on the previous podcast, reflects quite poorly on the sequel. It's like he read my mind. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I was no fan of the story in the first one, but yeah, I, I'm not invested in Dingo's story. And, and the whole mm. thing with him, you know, having to rely on uh, Jehoti to stay alive, it feels like such, like, it, it barely plays a factor in the plot. It just feels yeah. like manufactured drama. If If there was a moment where at any point I felt like, uh, Dingo's life was in danger for the reasons, you know, uh, you know, for the reason um, that he's reliant on Jet- Jehoti. Maybe there's a sequence where you take control of Jehoti to race towards Dingo because he's running out of time, or you know, remote controlling Jehoti or something like that. Maybe you're Ken trying to race towards Dingo. Maybe that would have been great, but like, no, it's li- it's just literally an excuse to keep him in the cockpit for yeah, the whole game. Did, did- what my thought they would use that that conceit to explore the the concept of claustrophobia or codependency or something interesting like that. Yeah. But no. yeah. Well, I think they they kind of play into it, but once again, it's uh, it's not emphasized very very well and yeah, uh, right. quite yeah. underdelivered. They play into it that of course in the first game it was already told that Ada and Jehuti are programmed to blow up in the core of uh, of Alman of this uh, massive. Uh, battle station so dingo being connected to to jayhuti uh and basically yeah by way of a lifeline creates some actual drama for a cl- character of flesh and bone that's uh that's, that's connected in it so he's yeah. he's kind of tied to that but once again they do very little with that uh, that idea and and then in the ending cutscene spoilers uh he sort of gets taken out of it, and uh, they'll, they'll, they're going to fix him, you know, without uh, yeah. too much complications. So, yeah, yeah, I think because yeah. story-wise, the concept is much better than the execution. Mm. Um, again, whether that's cut content or or what, I'm not sure, because it's something that I would have really liked to see explored. It was, as Josh mentioned, the moment that it all happens and he gets shot is really well delivered in the story, and it engaged me. And where he tries to leave the cockpit um, after being oddly dead by Ken, which was a little bit weird. Um, and he started to die and she's like, quick, sit down. And he sits down and he, he sort of recovers and he realizes at that point he has to be in the cockpit. But it never actually plays on it again from that point. It was just, it was just weird. 
and and it's not just that like stuff like you know ken uh being a double agent like it would have been really interesting if they played with that at all but then it just turns out oh no she's just a traitor like it, like i can see how that could have been in an interesting twist but it doesn't really impact on the story it doesn't, at all. doesn't make any no, any difference yeah and 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 it just feels like a wasted opportunity to characterize her and and like if they really went into it like really went into why she made the decision to betray you know Baram and and all of that stuff okay fair play but no they don't they don't really touch on it at all um it's just kind of a conversation and then okay here we go all right you're not a double agent after all it uh, doesn't really matter. It's just, yeah, <laughs> just loads of wasted opportunities in the plot. So I don't know about you guys, but by the end, I was, I'd pretty much tuned out of the story. All I, I was, I knew, I knew it was big, good robot versus big, bad robot. If you want to, you know, that was, that was the impression I had. Of it. I guess I, I'd missed out on some of the subtleties, um, but did anyone Kind of, did any of you kind of manage to stay with it at least to follow through and have any uh, investment when when it came to the the final moments and and the, the the actual climax and the payoff, as it were? It's all in the actual uh, moment to moment for me uh, because I do very much enjoy just the missions and uh, and the challenges laid out for you. Okay, well, we've almost not spoiled the plot there yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we we yeah because that's where we were with it. Okay, well, let's talk visuals then. Uh, obviously, it was a PlayStation 2 game, and that's the version that Mikiel's played. We've played uh, both 720p up-resed versions, quite nicely scaled and polished, I would say, and the 4K version, well, I'll ask Carl in a moment, but um, playing this in 2018 for the podcast, Mikiel, on the original hardware, so you've probably got like a few more jaggies and things like that on the PS2 to look at, uh, but how did it, uh, appear, did it appeal to your eyes in this uh, in this science fiction future in which we live? Yeah, yeah, and it's far less jaggy than a lot of other uh, PS2 games. Uh, right. It's actually fairly crisp and, and clean looking. Yeah, I just I, I love the way this game looks. Uh, the the you know you're looking at Jehuti for a large portion of this game, and just the way it moves, uh, its sleek design, um, and it comes far better realized as a visual design in this new uh, visual art style i'm really quite fond of the sort of uh semi cell shaded look of this of this game and uh, the color uses and it it's it looks cool and cold in a lot of places but then it's livened up by fiery explosions and fantastic twirling smoke uh, effects uh, really quite one of the more striking ps2 games i feel visually so Josh, you played as did I the sort of the middle ranking version visually in terms of or certain certainly in terms of age and number of pixels, if nothing else. Uh, how did you enjoy the look of this game playing it on previous gen hardware in the year two thousand and eighteen? As I said before, I, I really like the um, the art direction in uh, Zone of the Enders two. I uh, we 
said last time, um, Jehuti is like a really cool design. Um, and the thing that really struck, because you barely get to see Anubis in um, Zone of the Enders 1, but um, uh, what really struck me this time is I really, really like the design of Anubis. Um, mm. I think that's a really strong look and really imposing look for, uh, for a mech. Yeah, and, proper, um, proper godlike figure. Yeah, 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 and um, and I just just generally like the a lot of the the mech uh, designs throughout throughout the game are really strong. Um, I forget I forget the character's name, unfortunately, but the w- one that stood out was uh, the one where the, the, the basically has like a statue on, on the on the yeah. faceplate of the of the mech. Mm. That has it's a really called, strong it's design. It's called uh, it, That whole design reminded me a lot of the Soul Calibur character Voldo, actually. Yeah, 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 and um, yeah, and I and I was really pleased that the the you know the female mech didn't have uh, ridiculous boobs on it at this time. <laughs> um, like it was it was designed to look uh, you know more feminine, but that's fine. Like hmm. you're you're making a mech to you know it feels like you know that a mech is like an extension of the pilot's personality so you kind of you kind of make it so it, it kind of expresses something about you so it's like fine you know whatever a mech a mech driven by a female pilot looks slightly feminine that's fine it's just like the un, you know the unnecessariness of actually having breasts on it um mm. and the structural weakness that that would cause to a military vehicle um it, but yeah, all of that stuff is great, and I think the the thing that the biggest difference for me um, versus the first one is the visual variety. Like this, this game changes up the environments and locales much more than the first game does. You just like the first one, you just get bored of um, the cityscape over and over and over again, and fighting very similar enemies over and over again. Whereas it feels like. This game, yeah, yeah. There's the common mechs that you you end up fighting uh, repeatedly, but they they add enough new ones to uh, to appeal to the senses and and yeah, just like changing up. So you're chasing a train at one point and then fighting battleships at another. It's just more visually stimulating. I thought maybe there were slightly too many. I, you're right. I think there there is more variety, but there were. A few too many, and again, I get you know I get that the color palette of the game is is what it is for the most part. But there were a few kind of quite bland grey stages. Uh, I actually would have appreciated more inky blackness of space in in some of yeah. my stages, um, or some more spectacular realizations of the colonies that they they attempted in the first game. But um, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that they're the environments that the game missed the most. They did do a few cities. I didn't feel like they were overly imaginative. Obviously, technology being a part of it, it's quite functional, isn't it? Uh, but in but again, I wonder how much that is by art design rather than and and partly technical necessity. I think yeah. I think my biggest criticism of the environments is that particularly early on, you spend a lot of time in straight box rooms. I mean, yeah, very yeah. square rooms with very standard corridors between them. They're kind of basic, a lot of the environments, but that only serves to emphasize the direct action, I feel, with especially with the swings of your blade overlapping everything and the, the explosions. If you're watching actual anime, 
the a lot of the backgrounds in uh, in uh, a lot of animation Japanese animation films are kind of like fairly fairly basic. So the characters stick stick more out. So yeah, the, the like the hand painted yeah the le- lesser detailed backgrounds that, uh, that you see in those in those movies in those films. And actually, you wouldn't because of the nature of the action, which we'll come on to. You wouldn't necessarily want every background to be overly complex, even if the technology had allowed it. Because yeah. for one thing. Um, I mean, I could have done with a few more things to throw enemies into rather than walls that were a long way away. But in the section that I can, I remember most, which is the one where you descend down between all these mashing kind of uh, massive metal mashing columns, the camera struggled in that area. So (laughs) uh, the more complex the environments are, the more the camera would uh, would contrive to make things more difficult than perhaps they they needed to be. And I think but the this... game also starts out visually very strong on uh, Callisto. Uh, it probably feels like an icy rock in space with all this, you know, the twirling snow around and uh, yeah. And I mean, we've certainly been. I think this is one of those where I, I, you know, it did to an extent, but I think we've been so spoiled in recent times by some astonishing graphics in in that sort of area that it's it does take a little bit of a readjustment carl i was going to ask you like how well does this uh, obviously i've played it in like twice or whatever the the resolution of the original version but how 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 crisp and neat does it look in 4k does it gain anything or does it lose anything it's one of the rare ones that actually looks really quite good it doesn't hide the fact that so many of the walls are flat like the the lack of right. geometry is still there, but the textures and the look hold up really, really well. I wonder well. how so- much extra work Hexadrive did for the 4K. I wonder. I wonder how much how how many new textures it's got compared to the say the PS3 and 360 versions. I mean, there's got to be some form of remastering there because there's no point where you look and see a PS2 era texture that's clearly stretched and quote unquote touched up that we've we've seen with so many other HD remasters. So it has that look where it's slightly soft focused, almost as if it's blurry, but it's not. It kind of does that really strange blend, but it kind of lends itself to the game. Mm. So it doesn't look like a modern day game, but it doesn't look like something that's ran through an emulator to run at 4K if anyone's ever done that. Sure. It, it, It has that nice blend between the two and they've definitely done a really really good job at bringing that up i mean the anime sections probably are the blurriest of the lot yes yeah because that they won't clearly is yeah that done. clearly yeah. is stretched but when it's in the game for the most part what you see in the immediacy because it's not like it extends the draw distance of all this because that is fundamentally the engine um what you do see in the immediacy actually looks really quite good one effect i really didn't like i didn't like it at the time on other games as i say i didn't play second runner back in the day uh, and i don't like it on the ps3 version and i don't much like it on modern games is that it's got a very kind of early rudimental rudimentary uh motion blur effect yes. on some of the cut scenes <laughs> yeah. which yeah. looks oh, right. the metal gear solid 2 effect yeah yeah that's the first i think the first time i ever remember seeing that in that era right. was the raiden yeah. reveal kind of thing um yeah. that we that we saw uh, and with uh, nin- like the ninja in uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 as well. It's that That's kind of I think the, the original Perfect Dark had that sort of thing in some cutscenes as well. Hmm. Yeah. 
that sort of phasing effect where you're sort of seeing multiple yeah. images at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And mo modern motion blur is obviously it's a different proposition, but it's something that I often turn off in a game that allows it. I know some people really like it and think I think maybe it looks better for people who aren't playing the game. It looks more realistic. But if you are mm -hmm. playing the game, to me, it just it actually downgrades the your visual yeah. acuity so it, it it's it, it's a it's a hindrance in many cases i think even if it's cinematic it's a bit. software trick isn't it rather than a hardware support yeah. model uh, which right. we obviously see with the new consoles is that games can do these effects because they're built into the hardware to be able to do it and these were all software tricks to be able to pull off these things um and yeah as a result it does look aged and but without these early experiments, <laughs> yeah, it, yes, I mean it really does. These the, these early experiments now look, uh, yeah, probably they they show the the age of the game up more than anything. I would have said, um, but luckily I think it's only in cutscenes, so it's uh, it's not a not a huge deal. Sound though, I can't really remember what I think. Josh and I both felt that the the sound effects in the previous game weren't quite as dynamic and dramatic as we wanted them to be. And for me, I think that carried over into this game. There was, I, I could have done like, it's all perfectly serviceable and effective to an extent. The sounds of the robots shooting and fighting doesn't really overly sell the feeling of space giant mecha combat to me, which disappoints, but I don't know if any of you feel differently. For me, it falls really flat on its sounds. Um, again, it, we have to reference the era, but even then I think we'd just be making an excuse for something that wasn't as dynamic as it could have been. You know, we reference old games that have iconic sounds. That oh, for are sure. Older this is 2003, this. not 1979. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think when you've got sword on sword and it, just feels soft and muffled and not necessarily yeah. even clear. Like totally I want that, agree. I want that solid clang that, you know, that like there's actual force going into it. But I think the biggest crime of all is that there's no real sound differentiation between any of the sub weapons that you have. And there's so many of them, like where's that like the, true, the homing yeah. missiles that have that cool sort of launching and hitting effect. And there's just, I don't know. There's just nothing. It's like, it's like sound in space. It's it's just, Dull. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like they completely missed what I would have liked to have really moved that game to the next level and made it feel like this epic space battle kind of thing that was going on. And yeah, it just it doesn't do it. I think for me, I, 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 I largely agree. Um, I think there were a couple of exceptions for me. Um, one of them being I really like the gauntlet this time round um just because there were the there were many more levels where i felt like i could take advantage of it um the train level for example uh, was just gauntlet c um yeah. where i was just like slamming people um into the walls of that of that tunnel and um that was really satisfying i like the i like the sound design um with the gauntlet um that felt really good and also the the it is called the vector cannon isn't it the the, the, vector, uh, cannon. the vector cannon yeah, yeah the the vector cannon that you use against the the battleships um i love the charge up pro i love that it takes so long to charge <laughs> it up because so it, it, it 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 really sells the the power Payoff, of it yeah. when it finally mm. does yeah. it needs um, to gather a lot of energy to, to fire, yeah. yeah, and and I thought the sound design for that was pretty strong. 
but yeah, again, like the homing missiles don't have the you know the the explosive quality that you want mm. homing missiles to have, yeah. and 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 the the you have a laser weapon at all that feels really limp, um, and it's largely to do with the sound design. Um, yeah, yeah, so I do overall, think though that I feel the same. Expl- explosions in general in the game are fairly satisfying, not earth shaking or anything like that, but. Uh, you know, the, the, you know when, when, when stuff explodes <laughs> around you, it feels uh, feels pretty pretty good. Yeah, I just wanted a bit more dynamism, a bit more top yeah. and bottom to everything. Like especially when you're throwing a giant mech into a massive metal wall, you want a real kind of yeah. crack and clang and boom and. Crunch. I think maybe this has to do sort of with the, the the vision that they have for this game, the direction. You know, it's as far removed from the likes of Mech Warrior or Steel Battalion as you can get. It's all all, all feels a lot lighter and zippy. <laughs> and maybe that's even reflected in, in the sound design yeah yeah I mean, the sound I, I design just... is something like steel battalion is is you know you, you, feel, you feel like you're dragged into a real life battle zone basically yeah i i just think i look at the the inspirations for this series you know stuff you know mecha anime and and evangelion stuff like, and yeah. you know evangelion and Evangelion, like it's, it definitely is lighter and more zippy than, um, uh, than you know, Mech Warrior and stuff like that. But like when you know, when you land a crit, when you know the pilots in that series land a critical hit on the angels, like you feel it, like it, it's that's an impact, like it, you are, you can feel the damage. Whereas here, it, it, it does feel a bit fluffy. Oh, I mean, it undersells certain guns to the point, or certain sub-weapons to the point that I just didn't use them, because with your frame kind of being right in the centre of the screen and you're not always clear on what's happening, so we know the gauntlet was really effective and it was the one I used the most because you see the health bars of the enemies flying down and getting knocked back, but then there's the one, you know, where you hold the, the trigger a little bit harder and it kind of focuses the beam of machine gun fire. I wasn't even sure if that was hitting enemies. I had that strange thing where I had zero feedback, visually or audibly, that that weapon was even doing anything. And I feel like there was probably at least half of the sub-weapons that I felt that way. And these are absolutely hulking, massive frames. And it's not that all games should sound the same. I understand that. Why should it sound like Mech Warrior? Why should it sound like all these other games where we've had robots? But we expect a certain level of sound and they barely make a blip in terms of sound to the point that you're not actually sure whether you've even fired a weapon. Mm, It was really, really bizarre. But Mm. that said, if we're on the terms of how it handles sound, one thing that it does do well that's exclusive to the PS4 version is that when you're controlling your frame, all of Ada's voice commands come through the controller only. Mm. So... None, none of that sound was coming through the telly for me, so I could hear all the conversation between Dingo and Ken and the sound effects that were going on. But when Ada was speaking, that was only through the controller. Now, I imagine that would be even more effective in virtual reality where everything's kind of up on you and then the sound is the first thing that you're going yeah, to hear. Yeah, because she's speaking from the dashboard to you, right? Exactly, so, and right. And the mm. controller yeah, fulfills that function. That's pretty so clever. when all the sound is coming from my telly, the sound of Ada is hitting me a lot sooner than the actual sound from the telly, which made me feel like, even though I was behind the frame, 
that I was mm. actually in it. It's a really subtle and cool trick, and it drives me mad how few games actually use mm-hmm. the speaker well on the PS4 because when yeah, it's it utilised well, Wii. it is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I love the... Uh, we, we talked about it when we did No More Heroes a few years ago, the, the yeah. telephone calls via the Wii remote. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was really good. immersive. Yeah. Um, well, nice touch anyway. So sound effects, functional, but ultimately a bit disappointing how about the soundtrack though so we've got four composers again on this game i believe uh, maki kirioka akihiro honda toshiyuki kakuta and norihiko hibino who i particularly wanted to mention because norihiko hibino is now part of the duo uh, that are known as gentle love and they've been releasing these um prescription for sleep records uh, which we recently played a track of on sound of play uh, they did a Celeste pre- uh, prescription for sleep album, which is all versions of tracks from Celeste. So uh, that's yeah, that's an interesting uh, modern project of Norihiko Hibino's. So we mentioned the title theme or the main song, which I enjoy. Uh, how about the the rest of the kind of incidental music and the overall score? I like it when the motifs of the theme song are being brought back into there. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like during the battleship stage. Yeah, the battleship stage is actually the standout one where I'm actually thinking of the music in that game. So it has a few moments where, when it ramps up, the music is actually really quite good. I do think I don't know whether it's exclusive to the PS4 version because I'm not. I can't quite remember what the PS2 version was like to play. But the balance of the music seemed quieter than it perhaps could have been. Um, I did check to see the sound effects one before anyone goes. It could have been both. The sound effects one is actually just quiet. Um, but the the music, there were times where you couldn't necessarily be sure that there was music playing. But I think for the most part, when, when it ramps up in the scenes, like when um, you're fighting bosses and stuff, I actually really quite like the soundtrack to, to Zone of the Enders too. It's really good. There's, there's a lot of dramatic string work, uh, which... Uh gives the game gives it some some drama and melancholy josh any memories from the music i think it's functional in the context of the game but i I couldn't remember a single track or hum Mm. it to you right now um i yeah i i think it's effective action movie movie music um in the way that you know the majority of the kind of MCU movies have very functional soundtracks, but um, it it didn't stay with me. Right, let's get into it then. The actual gameplay. Uh, so we want to talk about the difficulty because, as with a lot of games that people love, uh, it seems to be that uh, fans will insist that there is a right way to play it, uh, and a way, or a way at least a way that you'll get the most out of the experience. Yeah. Uh, And Heavy says, I would 100% recommend playing this game on hard. Individual enemies aren't a problem, but once multiple enemy types swarm you, you have to use every single ability available to Jehati just to make it out alive. Uh, I also, like Josh, ended up playing this on easy because I wanted to ensure that I complete it and didn't feel that normal made enough of a difference to the actual experience other than I would die more often on bosses. I restarted the game actually on the hardest setting in New Game Plus to get a sense of what it's like to have to use more of the systems. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I can appreciate that there. It, obviously it does add that level of 
drama and investment and tension that playing on a higher level can do in games and often does. Um, but it didn't, I have to say, it didn't over, it didn't completely revolutionise my my sort of feelings on the moment to moment gameplay, which was that as with the previous game, although it was more sophisticated and there's more variety than the first game, it just, and I think maybe this plays back into the sound conversation we've just had, it didn't ever really just totally capture me and make me want to like master master it i enjoyed it fine it was fine but i think um, a full playthrough on normal might make you feel different because it does force you to be a lot more resourceful defensive and it does does uh force you to explore the sub weapons a lot more and their specific uh, contextual uses yeah I think that's probably true. So you have to you have to engage with with the game systems on a deeper level. Yeah, well, that's why I started again on. Uh, I haven't completed the game on. But uh, the if, extreme if, you, if you start the game on uh, on uh, the higher difficulty, it you know a lot of a lot of its uh, systems and sub sub weapons are uh, sort of drip fed to to you throughout the game. So. No, it's, no, no. You can new game plus basically with, with everything. Yeah, you get them yeah. from the start. So, okay. so I went back and into it sense. playing with all the subsystems. Yeah. Okay, so cool. when I was looking online um, and I was checking kind of the discussion groups and the discussion forums from people that like playing Zone of the Enders 2 and like any game, it has its vehement followers of the game that absolutely adore it. It's quite interesting because they do all recommend playing it on hard for this reason. And... There was a section in the uh, where you fight the big battleships in space, and yeah. the f- you've got to take out five ships and you shoot the core thing on the back exactly like Halo. Um, and when you get there, you sort of are able to take the first three out really easy, and then the next two uh, shut before you can take them. And I was like, "This is really strange. Am I doing something wrong? Like, am I missing a gun on the side or something?" And I couldn't understand why it was shutting. And I was looking online, and people were like, "Well, start at the back and just take them all out. It's dead easy." And then I found one comment. It said, "They all stay open on easy." And I was like, "Oh." So I looked. The last two of the five ships have their uh, the area that you take out with the vector cannon actually shut. Oh, uh, there you go. So there's more to it than just life bars and yeah, damage so and stuff. Yeah. It makes me wonder how many other sections in that game are different. Now I'm wondering if on hard do they all shut? Probably. Yeah. Um, and you have to right. take out the front cannon before it stops yeah. the thing from yeah. shutting. So then you've you got to go take around the, the anti air lasers in the front cannon yeah. before you can even uh, take out the, fr- uh, the one in the back. And while you're doing that, the the latter later two sh- uh, ships can actually reach you with their with their massive uh, heat cannons. Yeah. yeah, and when I was looking online and people rave about this section, like they love it, the the, the real fans of Zone of the Enders. And I, do you know what? I was frustrated at first because I couldn't understand why it was different. And then sort of when I took a step back, I was like, actually, that's really quite good and it works quite well. And you have people online, I was reading this saying, oh, the best thing to do is if you take the one out at the back, then you can just sit at the back and take the other ones out with a vector cannon from miles back. And I was like, mm. what? how good are these people... At like being able to do that because I was struggling from about five feet away to hit it at first um, <laughs> <laughs> because it, it controls like a game that's 15 years old it's not it's not buttery smooth in terms of movement but when you you hear about these little tweaks and now it makes me think well if I play the whole game on hard which bits of it are going to be different because I know I'm going to have to balance the weapons and I was quite gauntlet heavy but I know for a fact that if I'm playing it on hard I can't just go and gauntlet everything 
Yeah, yeah, except for the bits where you don't have walls uh, to do double damage. Uh, yeah. Ada recommends using the homo- homing missile uh, missile in that um, in in that battleship stage uh, for all the uh, pesky raptors that attack you, uh, and the, the homing missiles take them out in a single single hit, and they're not that costly for your sub gauge. So I was relying a lot on uh, on that weapon uh, in between using the vector cannon as well. Mm. The big battle yeah. in the next section where you have like 500 enemies or more, I know that when I looked at scores, because you get a couple of arena sections, don't you, where it actually grades Great you. you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in that last one, I saw someone that was playing it on hard or whatever even the one harder than hard is, um, and it was like Extreme. enemies killed 920-something. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I think it was 548 enemies, I think, is what I took out on yeah. normal, and I only say that number because I did that bit again tonight. In that bit, you get so many sub-gauge refills that you just homing rockets over and over and over again. And that actually made it quite fun. It didn't sound good, but <laughs> you actually do see the rockets, but you don't get that. The, the reason that I have a problem with the sound was probably most notable here because I had no feedback whatsoever if my homing missiles had actually hit enemies behind me. So I was only right. aware of the ones that it hit by visually seeing missiles hit enemies in front of me, and that's where the sound fell apart for me on the homing missiles. But it's it was a really good weapon to use in certain scenarios. But again, I can genuinely say that when I played it, I used the vector cannon only when I had to, and then other than that, it was gauntlet and homing missiles, and then mm. uh, wisp, and that was only for the boss fight to pull the armor away. Guys, Geyser is also handy handy early on, and you use it uh, to save uh, damage left units. I use the one a lot. Uh, I think my my most used was probably the which is the one that um, is that Geyser the one that kind of um, di- immobilizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Josh, yeah. do you feel that uh, I I do that you and I may have you know slightly undersold our, ourselves the game by. You know, it's the same the same old problem as we often have. This is one, you know, one of the flaws of the format, if you like, or certainly one of the, you know, just one of the limitations that we come up against, at least, is that we obviously we want to finish the game and, and see it all before uh, before we talk about it. Uh, but in the case of this, you know, maybe actually getting halfway through, but having played it on hard might have been given us a better insight into the the actual mechanics of the game. Personally, I feel I probably just would have got more frustrated and yeah. uh, being stuck. The best games for me, my favourite games, I should say, are those which even if I, even if I'm playing them on easy and I feel that little bit removed because I know I'm not seeing everything, the the games that I really love pull me they demand that I play them on the higher settings and yeah. I like this enough and I wanted to do due diligence enough to restart this on on the harder difficulties but I did not feel that absolute compulsion that I've had with certain other games get back in there and and master them just because I didn't enjoy the moment to moment enough because it didn't you know the feel of it was fine yeah. the sound of it was fine but none of it was saying this has got this huge, you know, this great skill ceiling. I didn't know about the stuff that Carl said. That intrigues me. I love games that do this. We talked recently about the Resident Evil 4 sections that aren't there if you play them on easy, like the garden, the whole garden section. I love games that do that, that's where it's not just 
health bars are bigger, uh, yours is smaller, yeah, theirs yeah, are bigger, sure. and so on. Yeah, so it's, I'm, yeah. I'm really glad to know that it, this actually makes me think that I might now pick up the PS4 version next time it you know it hits sub 15 quid or something to give it another try. Josh, do you feel in any way similarly? I I, I do I do feel bad that I missed out on stuff like the battleship section where it you know there's just new stuff there and that that's the kind of stuff that i regret but in terms of just the combat encounters so um carl uh mentioned the huge battle where you have loads of levs and you have to keep defending them if i had played that on hard i would have ripped my hair out because (laughs) um even on on easy i hate just really hated that section um, and and it was mainly because I was constantly battling with the camera and what yeah. it was locking onto yeah. in the, order the to get through that system, section. Uh, does get in the way there, especially if you just want to zip across another part of the map to, map to help some uh, some damaged uh, friendlies. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, and, and I, but it's. I mean, what I loved about that section is like you're fighting this whole bunch of enemies, and then. All of a sudden, like there's a new wave coming, in, and you see it on the radar, like a thick swarm wave of uh, of, of of enemy red dots, like 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 a tsunami coming towards you. That section of the game, I I would have really, I think, in better circumstances, I would have really loved it. But it, it just my memory of it is just desperately trying to lock on to a damage lev trying to heal it but my camera my camera just constantly locking onto enemies and not being able to heal these guys i I was keeping a very conservative trigger finger there because if you're still locked onto a friendly you'll start hitting them instead of the uh, the i just didn't heal anyone and still got through it (laughs) yeah yeah and i did i did actually so i didn't die that many times um playing it on easy but that was a section where i did actually die twice trying to do it um because i just i found it too overwhelming and Mm. and that's on easy. So if I had played that section on hard, maybe you wouldn't have completed the game. Um, and yeah. I, I, I used just, eighteen continues. So yeah. So I don't know. I think I think like the boss fights, which we'll get onto in a bit, which which ended up being my favourite part of the game. I didn't feel like I was missing out. I I noticed that the health um, of because I, I played through the first part um, on, on, on normal. I did notice that the health obviously was draining a lot faster on easy, but ultimately the tactics I had to employ weren't changing. Like no. I still a fair, had to a fair share think of the, about it. A fair share of the uh, boss fights are actually more like tutorial sections that teach, teach you more about uh, some of the abilities that you have. Yeah, and, and and I feel like that, that, that ultimately that's what the my favorite boss battles are is like a final exam for mechanics um, that you've used elsewhere. Like, like that's why I like these boss fights is because it forced me to think about positioning and uh, dodging and and all of that stuff in a way that the enemies did a little bit, but obviously on easy it doesn't. It's not an absolute requirement. Yeah. Um, and I un- and I understand on on normal and hard that probably is the case where it is a requirement to do that. Yeah, they 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 throw a lot more at you. You have a lot more to yeah. deal with. Into, I just uh... I just there are games where I would have wanted that 
that pushback. And uh, if I if this was a Devil May Cry three or a Bayonetta or something like that, where I I just I trust the game's controls so much in those games, where I just I'm I you know playing I've played Devil May Cry three so many times that it just it it feels like an extension of my will. Whereas with this, like it just it there were too many situations where the game just kind of wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And if I was having to battle that battle with the camera and all of that stuff alongside managing all these different sub weapons more more intensely, um, I think I would have had a more negative experience overall. I think the completion time on easy is more like six hours, whereas the overall, the, I think the average for normal is, is eight to nine hours. Yeah, it was, and then, uh, my, mine came very close to nine hours. Yeah, there's a hard with a, with difficulty. With a, a lot of deaths uh, accounting for that. Yeah, sure. And you can then unlock very hard and extreme. Uh, you get graded on just the two sections, which is slightly odd, really, when you think about it, isn't it? You would think that either you get graded throughout the game or not at all. To be graded on two kind of sub-scenarios is, is, seems a slightly odd approach. As Josh said, you need to manually save. Is that still true on PS4, Carl? Surely not. You do have to manually save. Oh, okay. So they've <laughs> kept it, kept it true. Kept it in. Yeah. Still no, no auto yeah. save or checkpoints. Uh, you get no. an overall grade at the end. It tells you how many enemies you've killed in your highest combo. Uh, mine was 3,229 enemies killed in a combo of 101. I said, that's probably pathetic. My overall grade was C, uh, which, yeah, for, for easy difficulty, I guess, isn't great. But as I say, again, for me, if I'd just, if I'd, it's so it so much comes down to the feel and the sound and the com- combination of feel and audio for me that if I'd fallen in love with that part, I I would have felt more compunction to to go back. But as I say, I do feel intrigued by what Carl's discovered about the the approach to to difficulty. And, and it's and, another yeah. one of those things where your mileage may vary. I think because I of course. really love actually the way Jahuti controls and uh, you know the 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 burst dashing across uh, the the maps and uh, the uh, uh, you know the um, comboing an enemy and then uh, either launching them or thrusting them downwards and then dashing after them and and finishing the job and yeah it just always felt a bit I feel it's it's like a joy to control that game for me I do agree that the camera isn't always what it should be and the lock on system is fairly overbearing uh, yeah that, that's a big weakness of this yeah. game in my opinion and it still yeah. feels even though it is refined compared to the previous game in my experience it it still felt like transitions between different attacks were very clunky to me like it doesn't feel fluid in the way that and I know it's not exactly meant to be the same kind of game and it's not a person action combat game like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. But if you're going for that slightly lighter, more dynamic, super fast feel, I just want to feel like I'm getting more response from my from my uh, my avatar, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I just find that like just transitioning into a grab or a, or a spin, everything just feels slightly it's still yeah. kind of robotic um, if you want to <laughs> maybe look at a game with big chunky robots in it uh, where you don't have that problem you're looking at something like Transformers Devastation by Platinum Games uh, right. of yeah. course which I haven't played uh, which doesn't it's no longer have available that is it? Prob- uh, 
doesn't have that problem in the slide as well. Yeah, it's it's not av- available digitally anymore. But uh, okay, I have again, it. On, you can grab a disc uh, for Plus. any system. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Alex Maskill says. While the combat is good and much improved, it's not that good, not good enough to carry the whole game on its own. I found that fights frequently became repetitive in the moment-to-moment steps, requiring a few too many repetitions of the one correct thing to do in this scenario to feel rewarding or maintain forward momentum, and that in contexts where systems were stretched too far beyond their usual territory, they became cumbersome and annoying during the train chase sequence i died far more as a result of the camera than any choices i was making one thing i wanted to bring up the subsystems my experience was that although zero shift on paper seemed like a lot of fun it actually reduced the game for me like it it becomes more of a button mashing exercise when you've got zero shift yeah but you don't have it for very long it's meant to empower you i think it's it's you have mm. within the final section of the game and it's meant mm. You know, now you've ascended to proper godlike levels and, and you're just, you know, you, enemies become trivial. You're just smashing everything. I guess that's why when you do the, the new game plus, it says, do you want zero shift from the start? And I went, yeah. oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I should have said no. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's because by this point, you've already fought Norman twice. And yeah. uh, I refuse to pronounce it in any other way That's other fine. than he sounds like a Yorkshireman um, so Norman, <laughs> uh, Norman he's really quick and you can't catch up to him and he's you know he's really bested you in two fights at this point and you feel so slow and cumbersome that that's kind of the point that you go, right, that's what I needed to be able to com- compete now yeah. and that, that's kind of what it brings but also the strange thing that I found about Zero Shift is it doesn't always put you right on the person that you zero shifted towards so now it actually makes you dash through them and then you have to quickly turn around take yeah. a stab at them so you, the most pronounced you'll notice this is in the second to last uh, boss fight where once you reach him you actually dash through them do a little bit of damage and then you still need to turn around and uh to actually uh yeah uh take take a stab at them just felt a little bit weird that even with sort of your standard enemies Sometimes you would zero shift right next to them, and other times they'd still be about 20 foot away. So you'd go across a room, but they're still way out of your reach, and you're like, that's just... There are a lot of enemies, uh, popcorn enemies, that you can just kill by zero shifting into them. You don't even need to press attack. Yeah, Mm. I mean, yeah, Mm. for sure. And a lot of the combat that I used was... Because the the standard press sort of square to attack, like put-put shot, is so poor that I ended up just thinking, right, I'm just going to get near everything and melee everything, and that was kind of my go-to. And if I get really close, I'll melee, melee, and then gauntlet shotgun them back. Yeah, the regular shot I almost never use, but I do use uh, the homing laser a lot. So the homing laser works really, really well. Um, I did enjoy that aspect of it, and it made certain elements of this game feel quite like a shmup, with the sideways boosting, the lock-on, and getting all the commands right. And then... There was also the sort of the charge shot that can't be defended against. I can't remember the actual specific term for it now. It's just eluded me where you hold dash but don't move and then yeah, hold square and you like can charge the, up that the, shot. The spirit bomb, the energy ball yeah, uh, thing. But yeah. There's a, sometimes when you try and do that and it doesn't quite do it and he does this strange sort of charge thing. It's not your shield. You, you need to actually, sometimes I also think I'm doing it when he's just standing there discharging but yeah. then you actually need to press the button to start forming the ball in your uh, in your hand yeah it, it, that it never felt as smooth or consistent as it absolutely should 
do. Mm. That made me stop doing the charge shot. That and the fact that most enemies have an attack quicker than it is for you to actually do your charge shot. But sometimes when the, the fact is that a charge shot is already a risky move and it doesn't always start charging, felt really weird. It's it's really good. Uh, the, the energy ball is very good for uh, large groups of foes uh, that are still quite far away from you. Uh, yeah, and I also used it on in the, the battleship, battleship stage. Yeah, yeah, the battleship stage. Also, like you got the the, the little groups of uh, turrets and uh, the anti-aircraft lasers. Uh, you could stay at a certain angle where the the big cannon yes. can't reach you, and then start forming those energy balls. And because they have uh, a large area uh, of of impact and effect, uh, yeah, that, you can that take was a whole, primarily the area whole bunch I used it. Yeah, K sub zero one thousand says combat is significantly more polished this time around. It isn't on the level of a character action classic, but it comes surprisingly close at times. The animations are also fantastic, although I think it would be nice if they provided a more distinct sense of weight. And it bears repeating just how good the readability is. I don't think I've ever lost my sense of orientation at any point during my recent playthrough, which is a testament to how polished the controls really are. The only minor complaint I have is that the automatic lock-on can be a bit too aggressive at times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Mikhail, I think uh, it sounds like uh, you and Carl have certainly invested more in, in the uh, the nuanced part of the gameplay than, than uh, Josh and I have. Obviously, we all have demands on our time and a million games to play and families and, and whatever else. But is this something that you could realistically see either of you kind of repeatedly going back to and improving your skills at? Or would there be another game in the kind of subgenre that you would go to first? Yeah, definitely other games I would go to first. But I think this game would be really served with the chapter select or something. And there's some bits which are very passive or very uh, uh, environmental, navigatory, yeah. rather than the yeah. combat. And in a way, you need those bits because otherwise it, it can become a bit of an RSI magnet, this game. But, yeah. uh, but actually, if you just want to play the combat, which is the meat and potatoes of the game, mm. you are stuck. So that I definitely see myself spending more time with the EX missions and uh, and all that stuff. Yes, well, we'll talk about those for sure. I think a chapter select would definitely benefit the game. Um, it's it's noticeably missing uh, for something that scores you in certain sections of the game and then yes. makes you go through the whole game to get yeah, to them. Right. So what I ended up doing was if I finished a really cool section, I'd manually save a new save, knowing that the save before it put me before. Right. section that I'd really enjoyed. Yep. So I kind of created my own. It. Yeah. That's so old school. I love it. Uh, yeah. is, there a, is there? I can't remember. Is there a limit to, to save slots? Can you just have as many as you want? There's quite a bunch, I think. There's a bu six, six maybe. I have four or five and I've still got an option for another one. Yeah, yeah. so there's six in total I think you can use. Yeah, yeah, as we'll talk about, the the kind of extra content pretty much opens up all the stuff you actually probably want to replay anyway and more. So bosses then obviously we've brushed upon these already uh, heavy again says whilst one or two of the bosses were reused the amount of cool and creative bosses in this game is great i had a blast fighting every single one aside from Arjet, where her frame is possessed by viola and you have to tediously press the square button to block her blades and then grab her i feel that anubis does outstay his welcome sometimes however i feel the reason that he appears so often is to remind the player how weak they are and that they are still no match for him and have a long way to go I love that the bosses could be taken down 
with what you had in your arsenal with no gimmicks and no QTE nonsense or anything like that. <laughs> we recently recorded our Resident Evil 6 podcast. <laughs> Was <laughs> there a QTE in that game, Leon? I'm not sure. <laughs> Press the buttons and twiddle the sticks or whatever that meme song went. Um, boss fights, gentlemen? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I actually want to uh, disagree with uh, with my friend there. Um, I also was really annoyed at first with that uh, the, the possession fight, uh, but I after a while I started quite enjoying how it made you play the game at a different pace, where you actually had to start reading your enemy more and sort of time your slashes in time with with hers. It gave me a similar sort of feel as, as trying to parry uh, parry things in uh, Street Fighter Three, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I actually agree. I, I, I liked that fight um, because it made me think about um, the animations of the, the, the enemy character. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and they're really readable as well. Like once, once you get used to it, like yeah. I, I actually think the, the animations for all the boss fights, uh, it's, it's very and – this, and this is kind of why I think this is the strongest element of the game. Um, I, I really like all of these one-on-one uh, boss fights, um, mainly because all the mechs have some unique systems that make you uh, approach them very differently. And this possession one is a really great example of that, of um, being more cautious and trying not to do more too much damage so you can uh, so you can slowly hack hack through the, the the defenses and 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 liberate your friend um i love that and i just think like the the controls and the camera and all of that stuff is at its most reliable when you're just focused on one enemy yeah on the one on one um, 100% yeah it's it's just there's less information for you to take in and i yeah and i just and it and it forced me to use sub weapons and be more tactical and and use the environment more and yeah and i and i never really had to battle with the camera at all with the with these fights so yeah i i ended i ended up walking away from this thinking Boy, I wish this game was just like a series of boss fights. Yeah. Guys, um, because... can I just point out that we're actually talking about a video game here and praising the boss fights as the best part of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I, I tend to really like boss fights anyway. But yeah. um, like, I, <laughs> so many yeah, are done yeah, bad though. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, you but, always um, get a duffer, don't you? That's the thing. I much prefer prefer these encounters to the the regular, um, you know, uh, base combat of the game. Just to, to go on about the, the boss fights a little bit more, I love that the game was at its bravest in its decisions on how you fight the bosses. So the possession fight drove me mad at first, made me think then when you're actually parrying the strikes and grabbing. I mean, it does highlight the problem that Leon mentioned about the, the smoothness between the attack and the throw mm. isn't as smooth as I would have liked. And I hated the environment that that fight was in. But it did be, with the other enemies that you fight in that environment. Not so much uh, when you when you're just fighting Adja. But the the fact that there's two attacks that come and there's one where you're like, right, okay, this is where I take all the missiles out, and then there's the other one which is the beam where you go, right, okay, this is where I retreat backwards and hide behind the wall and come back out and then time that. And that was kind of really really clever. The Zakat fight for me is the absolute pinnacle of the boss fights in the game, hmm. where 
there's the laser fights that you dodge him, but then you can actually pull every panel of him off if yeah. you use Wisp and give yourself a huge target to boost inside and hit the core. And then essentially, as he protects himself in the second phase, you can do the same thing until he fires them all off as missiles, take them out, and he's basically defenseless. Yeah, I thought that was such a cool design also uh, as a as an orbital frame, just this huge ball and then there's an actual sort of semi-character inside there. Yeah, and and that was really cool. Or the old man, who again has two phases. Uh, the first phase, by the way, I didn't enjoy of the old man, but the second phase where it's pitch black and you rely on the commands given by Ada to dodge left, dodge right, yeah. um, and, and know what attacks. And when it's... Uh, She'll say defend, and you've got like a fraction Ooh, of a yeah. second to hit block, and your health's low, and it put me really, it put me on edge in the best possible way that boss fights can, because you yeah. actually feel fragile. You feel like you're not so much dominant over them, or yeah. they're so much dominant over you. You're kind of you feel equally, out of your, equally out of your matched. Element. Yeah, you, you know you're equally matched as long as you can get it right. Yeah. So it all falls on human error. So. Uh, but all those risks are avoided when you play the rest of the majority of the game, but it totally changes it up when you play the villains uh, or the, the bosses. And I really enjoyed that. Like, it was really, really clever. K-Sub-Zero says, The bosses are yet again the stars of the show, and the majority of them are brimming with creativity and brilliant attention to detail. The Neftis fights are made to teach the use of certain mechanics. The second Arjet and Inhurt fights force the player to fundamentally rethink their course of action, and Vic Viper, Zakat and Anubis are conventional, but decidedly grin-inducing spectacular duels. Every single boss has its place, and the sense of escalation gained by fighting them over the course of the game is something that very few other games can match. Mentioned Vic Viper there for the first time. So, Leo returns from the first game, but now... He is in a massive piece of Konami fan service in a frame which is basically the ship out of Gradius. The chorus of the song that plays during that boss fight shouts, Leo, 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 let's go, effectively cheering against the player. Uh, Leo Stenbuck, the Vic Viper's pilot, was, as we know, the previous pilot of Jehuti and the hero of the previous game. Uh, and yeah, the Vic Viper has some of the power ups and and uh, things yeah, it has that are associated. The, the options and the lasers and the yeah. shield, uh, uh, and some uh, of the music brilliant, plays. Brilliant design. Also, yeah. when it, it you know the idea that it's a transforming mech, fantastic. Yeah, the as yeah as a lover of the Gradius series, uh, I probably enjoyed that aspect of the game more than anything else, <laughs> just because it was <laughs> like yeah, I, I like that stuff. Ma- massive fan here as well of, uh, of Gradius. I don't think there, there's more than one ending. Um, you get different grades, obviously, as we've discussed. I got a C grade. I don't know if... Uh, do you unlock more and better extras for getting higher gradings? I mean, I unlocked... Even playing it on easy and getting a C grade, I unlocked the new game plus and loads of the extra stuff. Yeah, the extra missions, the EX missions, you have to actually find uh, find them in uh, during the game. Of course, it's, yeah, it's, we didn't mention that collectible yeah. aspect. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. collectible. Yeah, and uh, it's entirely possible that I've missed a few. I've missed a sub weapon as well. The mummy so that sub is a weapon. reason to replay the story. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the mummy sub weapon where you go right as you're on the surface of Mars, if I can remember correctly, and you actually get it. You destroy a building and you're given mummy. Yeah, ah. I think that's the point. You get it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's in the the part the the this the town area of the old man. Somewhere. Oh, is that where is that yeah, the yeah, yeah. mummy section? I did I did get mummy. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I can't remember how I got it. <laughs> yeah, well, the extra stuff. Uh, I think 
although as we've said like there are reasons to go back to uh, ex- you know, improve your grades on the on the graded sections and your overall grade and also to collect more extra missions but really extra missions are I would imagine where the real fans of this game probably spend most of their time once they've kind of aced the main game because there is a lot to do here you have yeah. a selection of uh, frames at, at least five frames is it from the, the game different variants of Jehuti and and sundry others and you can play out loads of scenarios that appeared in the game and multiple variants thereof at different difficulty settings and they're all scored and graded so there and is timed. and timed yeah so there is a ton of content to, uh, to engage with here and if you do it fun- enjoy the fundamentals of the the meat and potatoes moment to moment gameplay there's a yeah there's an, an almost endless amount of uh, high score attack if you will kind of fun to be had right yeah i could see i could definitely see myself put more time in those uh, those extra missions in the extra modes there's also a little treat Talking about Vic Viper and fan service, I didn't manage to get around to this, but you told me about it, Mikhail. It sounds cool. Zeradius. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a Space Harrier Galaxy Force behind the craft type of 3D shoot 'em up uh, in which you control the ship form of uh, Vic Viper and you fly through a tunnel and there's uh, Moai, Easter Island heads, firing rings at you and uh, lots of other stuff to shoot. Haven't unlocked it myself either, but... Uh, you yeah, can Konami it. code it, of course. Yeah, I think, uh, wasn't it, there's a hard way to unlock it, and the easy way is to, uh, in the EX missions, when you do the boss fight against uh, Vic Viper again, to pause and do the Konami code. Cool. It sounds good. Yeah, I'd be tempted to uh, to have a look at that. Just, I quite, you know, I quite like the idea, because um, we were talking about how uh, other shoot 'em up series, away from the show, we were talking about how the likes of Galaxian ended up with a kind of 3D incarnation. But um, Gradius has, if I'm, I'm trying to think, has re- re- remained resolutely 2D. So the idea of a uh, sort yeah. of into the screen space harrier type Gradius variant made by Konami. Sounds I think Gradius fun. 3 had a, a, a totally out of uh, character th- uh, 3D, uh, 3D section. There's a versus mode again. We talked about this briefly in the original. Again, not something that uh, we've engaged with. But thankfully, Mr. Ixalite from the forum, because we have an amazing community and generally there's somebody in there or out there who's experienced all these facets of these games we talk about. Mr. Ixalite says, I have to give a shout out to the game's versus mode, which turned into an unexpected time sink of two mechs constantly dashing around and attacking each other simultaneously in what felt like an epic cinematic dance of death. Of course, you first needed to play the main game to unlock the frames for your own use and then learn how to use them without the aid of any sort of move list. Some of them required the R3 button. How crazy is that? It made me feel like I was truly uncovering the secrets of these mechanical monstrosities. It also made me constantly search for new people to play against. I waited for them to pick Vic Viper, lose miserably, then pick Vic Viper myself so I could watch their reactions as I created four options and launched a disorienting hailstorm of projectiles at them while wearing the smuggest expression imaginable. Here, I would like to commend my friend Jacob for his patience as he was ultimately the only person I knew with an interest in high-speed anime robot fighting. I know that's not our Jacob because our Jacob would have been a tiny child when this came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but creating four options and then uh, unleashing hell on your opponent sounds like a lot of fun. 
yeah, I don't even know if the, I don't think the HD version has online capabilities. And I guess the more recent versions don't either, uh, because frankly, it would be for a very limited number of people, I guess. So some summary posts from our community here, starting with Alex, who says second runner feels to me like both a real step forward from the first game and a missed opportunity in terms of what it could have been. The art style looks lovely. I'm a sucker for that early 2000s Kojima game aesthetic and the action is generally vastly improved, faster and flashier with more expressive combat options and a more focused corridor based layout that allows for more structured missions. But much of this game is far more bland than I remembered it being. Lacking presentation leaves me less willing to forgive its other issues that didn't bother me quite so much as in the, uh, in the first game. For one, the missions are rarely interesting in themselves, offering busy work as an excuse for more of the moment-to-moment gameplay without prompting any enjoyment directly. The environments here are also often quite dull wastelands and featureless, implausible military installations where the first game had a futuristic space colony that always intrigued me in its details. For all its failings, the first game has a sense of place and a vision of the future that exists beyond, yet works with the mecha. The second game doesn't seem to have that, and to me it reduces this game to being a better version of the first game's combat simulation and still a much blander experience as a whole. By many measures, it's a better crafted game, tighter, much prettier, more mechanically refined and sophisticated, but the gestalt of the experience still leaves me far more disappointed than I expected. Yeah, I concur with Alex's view. I think I also concur with Simon Sloth, who says, Sometimes I wish I didn't revisit old favourites as my memories of this game have now been tarnished. This year I've clearly mislaid my rose-tinted spectacles as many of the games I held dear have suffered and been left with their previous revered status besmirched. I love that word. Leon would refer to them as sacred cows, and this year it appears to be culling season. I'd always (laughs) considered Second Runner as a peerless space opera blessed with the finest robotic ballet action. It had, in my opinion, blown its predecessor out of the water in every facet and was no longer the demo which came with Metal Gear Solid 2 tanker game. Playing it more recently, it seems clunky, repetitive, and the melodramatic story feels more mediocre Saturday morning 90s cartoon than the Akira-matching anime masterclass I had remembered it as. (laughs) Certain scenes I remembered fondly, like the Dynasty Warriors-style open battlefield or the the against-the-odds fight with the fleet of gigantic spaceships, just weren't nearly as impressive. In fact, they were a little boring. Ultimately, of the multitude of games I've replayed this year, this one has had the most pronounced fall from grace. Fortunately, we have a couple of mini love letters to the game from First Case of Zero 1000, who says it's unfortunate that the series hasn't received another entry since this game's release 15 years ago. As short lived as it may have been, at least the second runner was successful at carving its own niche and providing a very specific and satisfying experience that no other game since then has been able to replicate. I certainly look forward to replaying this wacky sci-fi mecha action classic in a few years. Before we get on to three word reviews, Heavy Metaru says, I would like to summarise with this game, while flawed is an absolute joy to play. If you have even a slight interest in anime robot designs, then this game is for you. If you're a fan of third person hack and slash titles, this game is also for you. It is night and day when comparing this game to its predecessor, and I'm so glad I got to complete this love letter to the anime robot genre. Nice. Well, mixed mixed feelings, seems, among both contributors and panel. Now we have a few miniature reviews 
in just three words, follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rince. Andrew Elmore says, painfully repetitive, unfortunate. Bearfish Pie says, makes no sense. Wallet Zero San says, beautifully nonsensical mecca. Eric Jones says, beyond the bounce. Riku says, always zero shift. Mr. Ixalite, dash, slash, smash. Edge Jam, cool anime cutscenes. Invisible Kraken, beautiful, iridescent nonsense. And Camille Rousseau says, long live Jehuti. Long live Jehuti. There we go. Uh, so, in summary then, well, let's start with you, Josh. I, I'm, I'm really disappointed. I, I went into this really, really wanting to, to love Zone of the Enders 2, and... There are things about it that I really like. Um, as I mentioned during the podcast, like I, I really like the boss fights. I think they're they're the strongest part of the game, just from a from a gameplay standpoint. And um, like the art direction is really strong. I, I I really do love all the mech designs and all of that. But the story is really, I just it does not speak to me on any level. Um, part of that is due to the poor localization um and uh just the script being this weird disjointed mess and um yeah and i just don't care about anyone in this world or or anything like it just feels like the stakes uh ultimately towards the end are so high as to be uh completely unrelatable and um yeah, and and there were a few moments in in the game that I really struggled with the the battle sequence with the with the waves of um, of uh, of enemy units coming in and and you have to to constantly heal the the levs supporting you. I just found to be incredibly frustrating and. Um, yeah, and, and and most of the other moments were fun, uh, but ultimately forgettable. It kind of ends up being like a you know, if I were to give it like a star rating, like a three star game, where it's just it's 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 not it's not awful. It's just ultimately really forgettable for me, and uh, I don't think I'm going to remember a lot of what happened in this game. Um, after you know a few weeks after recording this um yeah um it's a shame um i i, I there are things to recommend it but i it, it yeah i it's not one that i'll go back to in a in a rush thanks josh yeah i feel similarly again disappointed i always go into games wanting to love them i bought this game for myself basically a few years ago uh, after you know with an intent to catch up with it probably do a podcast on it which is exactly what's happened we're another few years down the line but it's not really for me i don't think it's not the age of the game that's the problem i just think it's not like josh says it doesn't speak to me in in any real way i'll play a lot of games in a lot of genres as regular listeners will know and i'll be excited by all kinds of different things but for some reason this just doesn't all hang together in a way which excites me I have been somewhat intrigued and inspired by some of the the praise from from Mikhail Carl a bit as well, and certainly some of our correspondence as regards to investing and engaging further with the game. But what it comes down to is there are there are thousands of games that I want to play, and the actual core moment to moment, even if I didn't perhaps give it its best chance, it just didn't scream out to me or demand that I 
do more with it. That said, as I say, I am now thinking that if if I ever see it in a sale on the PS4, I might give it one more go. But again, that's we're talking about that uh, that mythical world of infinite <laughs> time and money, um, where you get to give every game its its fairest crack and and sometimes yeah you just got to accept that maybe something isn't for you for whatever reason i know it uh, flies in the face of modern <laughs> internet entitlement um but yeah no regrets at all for playing it i certainly didn't hate it i just was left a little bit nonplussed by it um but yeah cool robots i guess first thing for anyone listening I can confidently say that anyone who wants to play it, the PS4 version, is the one that I would recommend the most. It is a really, really strong uh, remastering or reworking or whatever you... HDization of Mm -hmm. what was the PS2 version. Um, I do like the little tweaks and the fact that it has VR is kind of the little cherry on top. What I would say was strange is going back to it now, kind of the majesty that I'd placed upon it in my mind was wiped clean. That's gone. However, I now appreciate other things about the game that I didn't when I played it 14 years ago. It's not unusual for a game to lose its luster when you go back to it and you realise that it's not quite the experience that you remember. It is very unusual, however, to appreciate a whole bunch of other things around that title that you never did before. Mm. Uh, And I think that that is a really interesting take that I wasn't expecting before I went back to it. I do think that the controls aren't as strong as I would like. I do think that this comes from a time where right stick camera implementation isn't as strong as it could have been. Um, The nature of the camera turning to the direction that Jahuti looks in with the left stick takes quite a while to get used to and it removes the finer details in control combined with the really overly strong lock-on system which for some reason is programmed to also lock on to your teammates um, was a bizarre <laughs> concept Odd as you start then, taking surely. out your team yeah. <laughs> all your weapons utilise that lock-on system by your melee but then once you're locked on you'll happily just melee and hack away at your teammates as well so the, anyone going back to it now has to be aware that perhaps the the thing that ages it the most is the controls and camera. It doesn't tell the greatest story and it misses a few beats. So it seems weird for me to place all that and say, I recommend playing it to someone because that would normally be like the areas that I'd look upon and go, do you know what? Really, they're the, they're the key areas I look at at a game and it doesn't do any of them particularly well. But there is some wonder in the world of Zone of the Enders that I find really compelling. Like, it falls short on telling them, but you're under no doubt that they're actually there. Like, the world of Zone of the Enders can be told many more games, and I absolutely believe that we are ready for a third game (laughs) if it was to ever happen with modern technology. I mean, imagine how good that would look because this looked incredible at the time. And then we would have a control system that is more modern day, more fluid and slick. And I think if this game had that fluidity, it it would have been incredible. But of course it doesn't because very few of games of that era did. And it's not that none of them did. Of course they did because like Devil May Cry was a prime example. But I imagine the scope for telling the story the the extra space that we have on these games, the the hardware that could push them. My God, am I ready for a Zone of the Enders three? Mm-hmm. Like 
Josh put it perfectly when he said, Zone of the Enders 1 felt like an early script for what was to come in terms of polish. That's what Zone of the Enders 2 is for a new one. So I feel like we haven't really seen the potential of this series, but the potential is undoubtedly there for this to be Good an absolute great to make series. It though, That's the downside, <laughs> is that Konami are really odd, but they are starting to... We're seeing Konami do games, so... You know, there's, there is that little tweak there. I mean, they're still producing some things. Um, maybe they'll sell off the license. Who knows? Maybe they will make Zone of the Enders survive. Yes. Zone of the Enders Pachinko <laughs> and all the other jokes, yeah. Perhaps, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. We, we never know, but whether they sell the license, whether they go back into game making again, I don't know. But the scale and scope of Zone of the Enders would make for a magnificent third game so that my hope is in that and i do recommend that people play this and just acknowledge that it is not going to be the smoothest experience in terms of control but for me the boss fights make it all worthwhile because it's rare that a game is actually really creative in changing its approaches for each and every boss and this game does that and it does it well cool let's conclude with mikhil i think there is still unfulfilled potential with uh, Zone of the Enders, the second runner, having played through the whole game this time. If I would summarize this whole episode, uh, we would I would start with the narrative, and it's unfortunate that it never delivers on that blazing, what is it, six, seven minutes, eight-minute uh, yeah. eight trailer with mm. uh, with with the, the, the epic uh, Beyond the Bounce music track there. Uh, that's, that's You could almost discard the, the rest of the narrative of the game and just Look at that as a narrative, and just have the have the missions <laughs> missions in isolation from that. And it would uh, it, it might the might the game might have been better off. Then if you look at it moment to moment, I would compare this game maybe to its closest rivals of the time, being that I feel it's very three D shooter uh, oriented, and that the melee isn't developed enough to be for it to be called a melee action game uh so the, the cl its closest rifle from rifles for for me would have been smile bits panzer dragoon orta and um uh gun valkyrie uh and zone of the end is the second runner definitely doesn't hit the highs of those titles uh for me but it's still super solid uh i think it looks absolutely beautiful there's something just really fun about controlling Jehuti and moving around the place and just engaging with its world and maybe you know where it misses the mark i fill in the blanks with my imagination uh yeah i have i have an affinity for this game and i would definitely give it a star higher than just it just it so four star game for me <laughs> oh yeah let's start giving out star ratings now seven years in now let's let's start rating things we occasionally, we occasionally do <laughs> um, yeah. little, little no uh, yeah I, I think it's it still stands as one of the more striking games in the ps2 library for me maybe not the best but we're one of the more one of the more striking ones yeah and he's gone valkyrie on the big spreadsheet Mikhail. that's what we need to know i think so i think it is yeah should be <laughs> now that we're giving out star ratings in next season we revisit resident evil 4 for a third time and score it <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not five stars all round. um right <laughs> it remains then for me leon to thank josh carr and mikhil as well as our correspondents editor ryan 
and to all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and appreciate the time, effort and work that goes into every one of our shows, please do subscribe, rate, review even on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows from, or even better, support us to the tune of just a US dollar a month at patreon.com slash Get every podcast a week earlier than you would otherwise, often extended. Probably not this one. We've come in at quite a sensible time, but often they will be extended by five, 25 minutes. Who knows? And you get an exclusive monthly podcast as well with Jay and I and our love. As I say, more love from us. So we're coming towards the end of the year. And next time in issue 349, we will conclude for now our Resident Evil mainline series by looking at the most recent entry, Biohazard 7 Resident Evil or Resident Evil 7 Biohazard.